Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. I am your host, Archie Mitchell, and it has been a little over two weeks, about 17 days, since I have brought you a broadcast of this particular review show. So if you are new to the show, I basically watch NXT and AEW's Dynamite and Rampage and let you know what I thought. Uh, I also have been known to look at Raw and SmackDown when AEW or NXT are not on or aren't at their best. Um, And in this particular show, we'll be speaking about uh, SmackDown indefinitely, as well as, uh, excuse me, as well as the Crown Jewel pay-per-view. Not completely in-depth, but just enough to let you know what I thought of them. Uh, And I will also, at the ending, be speaking about Impact Wrestling's Bound for Glory, but we'll get into that in just a bit. Uh, As I said, it's been a while since I've recorded, and I apologize for that. Life got in the way, and of course, we were making the move from WrestleNet Radio back to just our own podcast here on the We Can't Wrestle podcast family. So we all needed a little bit of time to get ourselves shifted and to go ahead and get back into the groove of things. So I want to thank you guys, though, for always being with us and myself here on If You Smell What The Arch Is Cooking. And uh, we're going to go ahead and get into some quick hits tonight. But unfortunately, I do not have my frosty cold beverage. So you're going to have to bear with me uh, and just uh, go ahead and crack one open yourself and uh, have one for me. So going into quick hits, the first quick hit is the Crown Jewel pay-per-view. And uh, it was a decent show. Some great matches, uh, some great outcomes, such as, um, you know, the king and queen uh, of the rings being uh, being crowned. Uh, Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns was actually very entertaining. Um, the Usos versus the Hurt Business was a, also a very good matchup. Um, the only real match I had a problem with in general was Bobby Lashley versus Goldberg because um, I think allowing Goldberg to go over sets a bad precedent. Goldberg is not going to be getting another shot at the World Heavyweight title, or at least we hope he won't be getting a shot at the World title in the WWE. And I believe this was his last show, so unless they're signing him to another contract and we're going to get a rubber match between him and Bobby Lashley, I just think this was the wrong way to go with it. Uh, But in any case, if you did not watch Crown Jewel, go ahead and check it out. You have my approval, not that you need it. If you didn't watch it for other reasons because you don't like the Saudi Arabia pay-per-views, I understand completely. I myself don't usually like to watch them. But when you are someone who creates content and um, does a review show for wrestling, you kind of have to watch the entire broad spectrum of what's going on in the wrestling community. Number two, SmackDown. Except for the opener with Reigns and Lesnar and the ending with Becky and Charlotte and Shasha, uh, you can miss this entire show. SmackDown was boring as hell, uh, despite them constantly saying, we've got a new roster. There's new people here. Everything's great. Watch our show. Well, the matches were kind of lackluster. There was only one match that went about 12 or 15 minutes in in total um and everything else was just very fast forward uh and i don't mean that because i fast forwarded through my dvr no 
matches were going for like two, three, five minutes at the most. Everything was my, at, at microwave speed. Uh, they were not letting anything get really over. Um, the biggest thing that they celebrated again was the King of the Ring being crowned. And in my opinion, that took way too damn long. Uh, so if you want to omit SmackDown from your viewing pleasures this week, by all means, you go right ahead. Because it was a giant bag of crap. Number three, and this is our last quick hit of the week, Xavier Woods and Zelina Vega crowned king and queen of the ring at Crown Jewel. I happen to love the idea of giving the king, the queen of the ring to Zelina Vega, and the fact that she's moving to SmackDown allows us not to have Charlotte Flair get in her face and go, no, I'm the queen, no, I'm the queen. We don't get that back and forth stupidity there. Uh, Zelina Vega, having re-signed with the WWE, seemed like she was on a nowhere road, and they were punishing her because her husband, Aleister Black, uh, Tommy End, signed with AEW. But now, with them giving her the Queen of the Ring or the Queen's Crown, it seems to me that they're going to allow her to get a healthy push. Now, whether that means her going and getting a shot at Becky Lynch for the Raw Women's title, or her just being one of the top stars on the brand. It doesn't matter to me as long as she's being pushed. She is a fantastic superstar, wrestler, mouthpiece for anybody if they wanted to be a manager again. She's got my vote to continue to be pushed. Um, On the other hand, (coughs) Xavier Woods. Look, I like Xavier Woods, um, but he's still got the New Day with him. There's always a... Well, here's Biggie because we're on the same show this week. Or Kofi Kingston's and has got his back. And, you know, if they would have allowed him to break away from the New Day the way Biggie did and be by himself and allowed Kofi to do the same and, you know, let these guys go ahead and have their own respected careers again and Xavier Woods would have became King of the Ring, by all means, I, I, I like it. But... That BS on SmackDown with uh, Kofi Kingston uh, talking about Xavier Woods and putting him over. Xavier Woods should have done that for himself. He doesn't need Kofi to be a mouthpiece. Xavier Woods is great at talking. So it just seems to me that I think maybe Finn Balor could have used this as a better off jumping point or anyone else who was in the tournament, really, including a Jinder Mahal, um, for them to have given it to uh, Xavier Woods just Really didn't make much sense to me. But congratulations to both the king and queen of the ring. So that's it for quick hits. Moving into our first show review is NXT 2.0 from this past Tuesday. And um, it it was a decent show, but nothing to write home about. I'm going to tell you that right now. We opened up with Carmelo Hayes at first, and he is boasting about his North American title win last week. This kid has a bright future, in my opinion, and I am happy he's being pushed this quickly. Carmelo says he's the new leader of NXT, but gets cut off by Johnny Gargano, who says immediately that he's lost his way and uh, that he'd like to now find his way to the North American title and Carmelo. But a fight breaks out, and uh, Dexter Loomis makes the save for his father-in-law, Johnny Gargano, and um, he chases off. Trick Williams and Mello. Very good opening segment. A mix of comedy with some seriousness. I think that Carmelo Hayes versus Johnny Gargano could be a great matchup down the road. And uh, 
I'm all for it. We then go to our opening match, Odyssey Jones versus Andre Chase. These two have been feuding since the Dexter and Indy wedding. Chase tried to get uh, at Jones quickly, but the big man wasn't having it. Uh, Jones hit a power slam followed by a splash and got the win in four minutes. I don't mind the squash match here. Odyssey Jones is being pushed greatly, but Chase is supposed to be a newcomer as well. So it really makes me wonder what's happening with him if he's being squashed as quickly and Andre Jones is being pushed so quickly. What do we do from there? You know, I understand you make one star, but basically you make another, the other one a jobber. It just doesn't make much sense. Uh, Malcolm Bivens cuts a promo on his way to the ring saying the Diamond Mine isn't going to axe anymore. They're just going to take as he leads the Creed Brothers to the ring. Creed Brothers are taking on Imperium, and this, this was great. But there was a little bit of uh, interference, and I'll get into that right now. This was back and forth from the opening bell. Neither team took an upper hand, and as the exchanged moves and reversals throughout the first few minutes, uh, the Creed Brothers almost got the win, but Kushida and Jiro uh, caused a distraction, and Imperium got the win at the six-minute mark. This match was going very well. Like I said, it was, in my opinion, a great wrestling match. It wasn't about any kind of fanciness or Horan <coughs> Conranas or anything like that. It was a straight-up wrestling match. Jiro and Kushida coming out strictly to get involved because they're in a feud with the Diamond Mine. Uh, this could have happened after the match. Uh, Imperium does pick up the window, and in my opinion, the interference ruined it. MSK attacked Imperium after the match. And it seems to be getting booed by the NXT crowd. What's up with that? I'm not sure. I hope we find out more about it in the coming weeks. We get a look at the growing partnership between Kyle O'Reilly and Von Wagner. I want to like Von Wagner, but if we were going to go out and put Kyle in another tag team, why did we fire Bobby Fish? Makes no sense. Joe Gacy cuts a promo and says that he's on a mission and it remains the same. He will not be hindered by fragile people and will speak his fo- for his followers. Again, is he a cult leader? Oh, shit. Harland is with him. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to see what this big guy is going to do in the ring. And if they're putting him with Joe Gacy uh, because the young guy can't talk and Gacy seems to know how to get his point across, all right, I'm all for it. Escobar and Elgato del Fantasma are into the ring. Escobar puts Carmelo on notice, says the NA title will be his. He gives the mic to Electra, but before she could say anything, Cora Jade interrupts, and we have a match. Electra versus Cora Jade. Electra uses her power and is just tossing Jade around the ring. Jade, throughout, though out of nowhere, rolls up Electra and gets the win in two minutes. Nice upset, but why are the matches so quick this evening? This is what I was talking about with SmackDown as well. Matches just seemed like they were at a hyper speed. Uh, Let's hope the main event is is better because we've got Tommaso Ciampa and uh, Braun Breaker uh, in the main event. Uh, And I hope that that leads to something. And speaking of those two, Ciampa and Breaker are ready for their tag team match later on tonight. Ciampa says he's following Braun's lead. Braun gives off a smile, and that screams that he looks identical to his uncle, Scott Steiner. I'm loving this. Um, Parada 
versus J.C. Jane versus Io Shirai. This is a triple threat in uh, lead to the women's triple threat for the women's tag team titles at Halloween Havoc. And the winner of this will get to spin the wheel for their tag team and uh, spin the wheel, make the deal to find out what these, the stipulation for the matchup at Halloween Havoc will be. So, Jane and Shirai exchange smacks, but Parada takes them both down with a clothesline. Shirai and Jane exchange shots and then take out Parada together. Parada again proves she's just too powerful and turns the tables. EO would go on, though, to hit her moonsault and uh, pick up the win in the 12-minute mark. I'm happy to see a long match. Um, In my opinion, that's an NXT match. That's what these matches should be every week, all week. You don't have to have 12 three-minute matches. You could have five, 10, or 15-minute matches, in my opinion. Uh, If they keep the show like this going the rest of the way, I'm very happy. (laughs) Next week at Halloween Havoc, the Triple Threat Women's Tag Team Titles will be determined in a scare way to hell ladder match. What the fuck is that? Um, I guess we're going to find out next week. I would imagine that we're going to have some zombies like we did with Dexter Loomis and um, Cameron Grimes. Speaking of which, where is that guy? Cameron is uh, noticeably MIA from this week's show. Backstage, Legato Del Fantasma takes out Cora Jane and her boyfriend, but Briggs and Jensen come out to make the save. Also, Tony D'Angelo says that he's in NXT to take care of business. What kind of business? Running numbers? Arson? Being a stereotypical character? Tell me! Uh, we get a promo for Solo Sakura, who arrives in NXT next week. He is apparently a Samoan street fighter. I'm assuming this may be the Usos' baby brother. And if it is, I'm, I'm dying to see it because I've heard nothing but good things about this guy. Jiro and his sport jacket sneak up on Kushida while he's taking a piss. Apparently, this is normal for them, and I don't care. Uh, Tony D'Angelo taking on Ro Fang. We've got, great, we've got Mr. Stereotype in here, and he's fighting a reject from Mortal Kombat. D'Angelo toys with Fang with takedowns and arm bars and then levels him with his finisher. Tony gets the win in three minutes. Jesus Christ. Uh, this is this is getting bad, folks. Duke Hudson is in his poker room, and he proves he's a really bad poker player. He wins with 5-6 and 4-8, but still looking like a fun gimmick. So I'm all for it. He won He won the whole, he knocked everybody out with crap cards. Jesus. Uh, Legato attacks Briggs and Jensen en route to the ring for their tag match. And then during the commercial, Briggs and Jensen hit the ring and are already, already beating the hell out of their smaller opponents. Uh, Briggs hits a nice sidewalk slam, but the numbers of Legato with Escobar and Electra being on the outside are just too much. Escobar helps Legato get the win in five minutes, and it seems like no one is really being pushed here this week. <laughs> what I mean by that, folks, is we are probably going to be getting a lot of 50-50 booking here, which Nate Maxson and myself always talk about, in that if not at Halloween Havoc, then the following week we will see rematches for all these matches where now Briggs and Jensen get the upper hand over Legato Del Fantasma, and Electra might beat Cora Jade, and so on and so forth. Because that is WWE mentality to the T. So, moving on, Rachel Gonzalez and Mandy Rose hype up their match next week for Halloween Havoc, which will also be 
fought and under a spin the wheel makes a deal stipulation, but that will happen next week. Uh, Carmella Hayes and Williams get invited to Dexter Loomis's haunted house next week. I, for one, cannot wait. I am really going to wonder what Dexter is going to do to top last year's zombie match uh, with Cameron Grimes. Grayson Waller then takes on L.A. Knight. Waller almost gets a quick win, but Knight kicks out and takes the kid down. Waller continues to try to make quick work of L.A. Knight, but the veteran won't let him, and uh, Knight hits his finisher out of nowhere, gets the win in three minutes. Good to see Knight hasn't cooled down. Uh, he's, he's still getting a push. I've only seen Grayson Waller in the losing effects of his matchup, so I don't know what this kid is really all about other than what they've told me on commentary. I hope that he gets a decent push, but I'm kind of hoping they just move him to 205 Live because he seems that he'd be better off there, uh, if anything. And then it is time for our main event. Tommaso Ciampa and Braun Breaker taking on the Grizzled Young Veterans. Breaker took it to both members of GYV in the opening moments. Ciampa tagged in, and Gibson brought the champ down and kept Tommaso on their side of the ring. Ciampa finally tagged in Breaker, and he took out both Drake and Gibson. First, we saw the Steiner recliner, and then we saw the press slam into a power slam, and Breaker got the win for his team at the 15-minute mark. This was excellent booking. Uh, champion in parallel needs to make the hot tag to the young rookie. Ron Breaker looking like a star and just taking out uh, both members of GYV because I got to be honest, Gibson and Drake uh, can use a push, but as being the foiled villains and uh, uh, heels here, I don't mind it just as long as they don't get involved in Halloween Havoc and cost Braun the match or Ciampa the match. Let this be a great one-on-one matchup for these two because I want to see Tommaso Ciampa and Braun Breaker bring down the house next week during Halloween Havoc. Uh, in any indication, it was a great main event, but it did not help the score, giving NXT a 1.5 out of 5. Watch the women's triple threat and the main event, and you're good, because everything else that was going on, it just it really didn't seem like there was anything um, too big this week that they were trying to push, despite there being a big show like Halloween Havoc next week. Uh, I don't know if that's what NXT 2.0 is going to continue to be, but if that's the case, again, I hate to threaten that I'm going to check out again and then have a good show and okay, I'm back. You know, I don't like to, I don't like to do that to you guys because I like watching wrestling, and whether I like the product or I don't, uh, it really goes without saying that I'm still going to watch it. It's just I hate when shows are completely filled with throwaway matches. In any indication, Halloween Havoc is next week, so let's hope for the better in the next seven days. AEW Rampage is next, the Friday night show of AEW, and they never seem to disappoint, I have to be honest with you. I've watched every episode since its inception in the last couple of months, and I have always been very pleased with how the product has come out. We get Orange Cassidy and Powerhouse Hobbs in our opening match, and this is the first in the World Title Eliminator tournament for a new number one contender. Cassidy tried to be quick, but Hobbs hit a spinebuster. Hobbs then spent the next six minutes filling Cassidy, flinging Cassidy around the ring. The ref tried to step in, but Hobbs got angry. 
Cassidy snuck up from behind while Hobbs was arguing with the referee, got a roll-up, and picked up the win in eight minutes. Good opener, little too much comedy, but not too bad. Pentagon then comes out to address what happened with FTR on Dynamite. Pentagon goes to take out uh, two masked guys that he sees in the ring wearing the same mask that FTR were wearing on Dynamite this past week, but FTR attacked from behind. FBR take out Penta and Alex Marvez and hold up both the AAA and AEW tag team titles, but Pac scares them off. If we keep getting good tag team matches between the Lucha Brothers and FTR, if we keep growing the division with these two, with them holding it on their back, I have no problem here, ladies and gentlemen. This is what you want to see from tag team wrestling. Two great tag teams fighting for the belts. Moving on to another great feud with another great tag team. Just like the Lucha Brothers did with the uh, Young Bucks. And just like FTR did with their feud with Pride and Prejudice. So, they take out the uh, Lucha Brothers and um, move on from there. Pac finally scares them off. And Pac is going to be in a main event against Andrade El Idilo later on this evening. It is their second matchup. I can't wait for it. But before then, we get Anna Jay versus Britt Baker, two of my favorite women in AEW. Uh, you could add Thunder Rosa to that list as well, and Hikiro Shida. Uh, and Jay took the early lead by bringing Britt down with a hip toss. She kept her opponent down with headlock and submission chokehold. Uh, Jamie Hayter caused a distraction, and this allowed Baker to take over. Britt and Anna went back and forth, but Britt locked in the lockjaw and forced Anna Jade to tap out at the 12-minute mark. Great women's match. Both women were showcased their skills here. It was great to see little after-match beatdown where Hayter and the uh, rest of uh, Britt Baker's crew try to take out Anna Jay Moore. Taya Conte comes out and makes the save for her partner, Anna Jay, and it looks like we are leading to Taya Conte taking on Britt Baker for the women's title, but more on that later. And then we get Pac versus Andrade in our main event. Um, Their first match was phenomenal, except for the way that it ended. So I'm hoping they rectify that here. Match starts quick, and Pac hits a snap German suplex, and then a suicide dive to the outside. Pac goes to the top, but Andrade pulls him down and hits a double knees into the corner. Pac fights back and hits a single-leg dropkick to the side of the head. They continue to go back and forth in this one. Neither man is getting the upper hand for long. Andrade makes a mistake, and Pac rolls him up to pick up a very big win at the 17-minute mark. This is a main event, and AEW delivers once again. Uh, Both guys absolutely showcased here. Pac and Andrade work well in the ring together. They have great chemistry, and they're not done. After the match, the lights go out, and Malachi Black is standing in the ring with Andrade and Pac. Black takes out Pac, and he and Andrade are looking to take Pac out for good, but Arn Anderson approaches, and Cody Rhodes comes from out of nowhere to make the save. Great ending to a great episode, in my opinion. (coughs) Four out of five. Don't miss this episode. If you have already, go back and watch it. It is on YouTube. It is on On Demand. It is something you can't really miss if you like great wrestling and a continued moving along storyline for both, you know, feuds that we've got going on uh, that were progressed. So we're two down and we've got one to go.
AEW Dynamite. And with that being said, we've got Dustin Rhodes taking on Brian Danielson in the opening matches. This is another world title eliminator tournament matchup. Two veterans. The two shake hands, and we are underway in this opening match. The exchange headlocks and arm bars to start off. Good back and forth with dueling arm drags. And we have a stalemate. Dustin tried to use his size, but Danielson brought him to the mat with a submission maneuver. Rhodes made a small comeback, but Brian countered with a backslide and enziguri. Uh, Rhodes again came back with a clothesline and pile driver for two. Danielson locked in a guillotine, and Rhodes finally went down to the mat and tapped out at the 15-minute mark. That is how you open a show, ladies and gentlemen. AEW giving two veterans who can still go in the ring 15 minutes to bring the house down and get the fans jumping, and that's exactly what they were. Kenny Omega and the Super Clicks sent a message to Hangman Page. This feud seems like it's about to get personal, and I'm all for it. Kenny and Hangman know each other very well, and uh, it seems to me that Kenny's going to drag out as much of Hangman as he can, trying to bring the young man down, and it's all up to Adam to bring himself back up and hopefully win the world heavyweight title. We get dueling interviews from FTR and Lucha Bros. Both teams lay out their plans, and I, for one, cannot wait for their next matchup for the AEW World Tag Team titles. Tony Schiavone interviews Sting next, but before Sting can say anything, MJF shows up, starts throwing daggers at the icon. Sting, (coughs) excuse me, Sting takes out MJF, but Spears and Wardlow make the save and take Sting down. First time Sting is showing weakness in AEW. I like it. Britt Baker says she's ready for Tay Conte and is going to whip that ass that Tay likes to show off so much. Mm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, that is going to be a fantastic matchup between those two women. Ty Conte has come a long way, grown as a wrestler in the last couple of years. And Britt Baker is the ultimate star and face of the women's division. So, yeah, go for it. Go for it, ladies. We then get Penelope Ford versus Ruby Soho. This is a women's title tournament matchup for the TBS title uh, that has been just uh, activated. But women start off exchanging right hands, chops, and headbutts. Ford gets the upper hand and delivers a spear in the corner. Soho connects with a kick to the head for a two-count. Ford hit a cutter and only gained a two-count as well. Double knees to the gut, but Ford only again can get a two-count. So there's a lot of back and forth here. Ruby catches Ford with a roll-up and gets the win at the eight-minute mark. They got a little botchy at the ending there, but nothing terrible. Decent match. And it's, again, progressing a storyline between these two women. Um, The bunny tries to get involved after the matchup, and her and Penelope are about to take out Soho. But Red Velvet comes out, who is going to be facing the bunny on uh, next week's Rampage. And um, apparently with those two uh, going to fight, Red felt like she should come out and help Ruby. I don't know. (laughs) MJF is backstage talking about his attack on Sting. Wardlow wants to know why MJF sacrificed him to Sting last week, but Max makes up excuses and runs off. Something about accountability for Wardlow is now Spears, and whatever Spears does or Wardlow, I don't know. But whatever the case, the feud between MJF and Darby Allen 
needs to start being about them so people will start caring again rather than it just being about Wardlow, Spears, and Sting because nobody wants to see managers only or their bodyguards. They want to see the actual wrestlers go one-on-one. We then get Bobby Fish versus uh, Green. Green was in NXT just a couple of weeks ago. Same time as Bobby Fish, but Teddy Style kicks to the midsection and drops Green. Dragons two leg whip out of the corner, and Green is in trouble. Fish with a wicked suplex and then gets the win in three minutes. This is how you build an assassin like Bobby Fish, ladies and gentlemen. Fish attacks after the match and the bell. Uh, and I, I understand you have to let Bobby Fish look like he's getting out all of his frustration. He's angry. He's pissed off. Let him beat the crap out of this enhancement guy. Well, oh, my God. CM Punk is the one to come out and stop Bobby Fish. Is this our next feud? Punk versus Fish. I'm on board. Two thumbs up. I want to see it because I guarantee you we are not only going to get a great wrestling match. We are not only going to get a great shoot fight. We are going to get an amazing story told by two guys who know how to do it inside and outside of the ring. Tony Schiavone interviews Leo Rush and Dante Martin. Rush is putting himself over, and Martin looks miserable. Rush says next week he and Martin will take on the Seidel brothers. I guess this could be good. I like the Seidel brothers. I like Martin. Not a fan of Leo Rush. We then get Eddie Kingston versus Lance Archer. Again, world title eliminator tournament matchup. Kingston attacks Archer on his way to the ring, and this fight has started out big. Archer slammed a fan onto Kingston and then murdered both of them with a choke slam. Jesus. The bell finally rings and Archer explodes in the corner into Kingston. Archer controlled the rest of the match until Kingston rolled him up out of nowhere and made the big man land on his head. Eddie then laid over Archer, got the one, two, three, picks up the win in 12 minutes. This was a war, and although there was that slight, it looked like a botch at the ending with Archer landing on his head, it was perfectly booked. Up until that last moment. I hope Kingston goes all the way. <clears throat> I have been following Eddie Kingston for the last few years. And I've gone back and watched his earlier stuff. His, his promo delivery. His absolute ability in the ring to make you care. Is better than anything. And I think that seeing Eddie Kingston go up against Kenny Omega. If he's still the world champion. Um, after full year. Uh, would be fantastic. I, I really do. Uh, I hope Lance Archer was not hurt in any way, shape, or form during this matchup. And like I said, I think it was perfectly booked for both these two big guys to just go out there and brawl, let Archer take Kingston down, and then Kingston, you know, pull a roll-up off and get the win. Uh, we then get Adam, um, Ethan Page, Scorpio Sky, and Dan Lambert in the ring. Page screams about the inner circle and how they beat them twice. Guevara comes out and finally makes this watchable. Um, Sammy has defended his, uh, Sammy has to defend his title next week against Ethan Page. Uh, and if Sammy wins, he will get the 10 man tag match he wants. He'll get to pick the other three members of American top team that will join Page and Scorpio Sky in the matchup. But if Sammy loses, he not only loses the TNT title, he has to leave the inner circle altogether. Um, Sammy agrees. Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page look like they're about to go whip Sammy's ass, but the rest of the inner circle, minus Chris Jericho, run down and beat the crap out of uh, Sky and Page. Lambert goes running. 
This was a little bit of a long segment. I think it could have been done in about five or six minutes, uh, but they wanted to let Cage cut a promo, a page cut a promo, which was a little incoherent until Sammy came out. But it's moving the story along, and I'm okay with that. In my opinion, though, get Dan Lambert away from the, the microphone. I don't care what anybody says. He's not good on the mic. He's literally screaming his lungs out. It's not fun. It's not good to see. It doesn't make for good television. But that's just me. Moxley cuts a promo saying that he doesn't care about the tournament or the world title. He only cares about his new newly born baby daughter. Seems to me that Moxley has gotten bland, and maybe he wasn't. It wasn't WWE's fault for his booking. Maybe Moxley has no staying power, and his shtick gets old quick. What I mean by that is the guy comes in full gear, no pun intended, does his thing, everybody's cheering, everybody's doing great, and then he just keeps doing the same thing over and over and over and over again till the crowd starts not caring. And when he sees the crowd not care anymore, he sits there and goes, well, then I don't care. Now, I understand this was a promo that AEW probably wrote for him, that he doesn't want to get injured and wants to make it home to his daughter every night. And that's fine. That's admirable. But I've seen this from... John Moxley, Dean Ambrose before, and it sucks. And he either needs to revamp himself or get out of the main television screen and allow somebody else to be in his spot. The Dark Order and Hangman Page have a very serious and very funny exchange. Adam apologizes for him disappearing for that couple of months and uh, says that he wants to make it up to the rest of the Dark Order. He suggests that they wear costumes next week. For their uh, eight-man tag with the uh, Super Click Elite. Uh, And Johnny Hungy is all for it and says he's going to dress like Bambi. Johnny Hungy as Bambi. You know what? All right, let's see what happens. (laughs) I'm for it. Uh, Next week's show will actually be a Halloween-themed show. And that people will probably be wearing um, costumes and things like that. And I'm sure AEW is going to... I know. I imagine Tony Khan is going to watch Halloween Havoc and look to see what he could crap on about the product before AEW goes live on Wednesday night. Jungle Boy and Brandon Cutler are next. Jungle Boy with a quick start here, a suicide dive to the outside. He then counters Cutler and remains in control. Jungle Boy lands a power bomb and then locks in a snare trap and gets the win in two minutes. How often do you get the chance to see Jungle Boy hit a powerbomb on anybody? But that killer instinct came in, gets the win. Jungle Boy continues to grow every single week. He then follows this up by calling out the elite, and he goes unanswered. So he locks back in the snare trap, and this brings out Adam Cole. Cole makes his way to the ring, but the Young Bucks sneak up and nail a double super kick to Jungle Boy. <laughs> they land. They then drag the youngster to the stage and hit a BTE trigger and a knee to the back of the head, leaving him laying. But Jungle Boy begins moving around, which seems to piss off Adam Cole. And then they proceed to fling him off the stage and leave him for dead. My God, this feud has gotten massive. Who would have thought that when Adam Cole came to AEW, his first main feud would have been with Jungle Boy? But who would have thought that it would have made Jungle Boy such a star and had people behind him because Adam Cole usually gets cheered 
whether he's a face or a heel. But that ain't the case here. He's being straight out booed because fans are cheering so hard for Jungle Boy Jack Perry. I love it. I think the kid's got amazing star power, and he can only go up. So I'm for it. Let's see what the next move is. And then we go to our main event, ladies and gentlemen. It is Alistair Black. Excuse me, Malachi Black. Versus Cody Rhodes. Cody's gear looked pretty damn good here. Uh, I may have to make a custom figure of Cody Rhodes in order to get this gear. I doubt they'll make it, although they do make a lot of AEW Cody figures. Uh, and we start off with Boatmen trying to gain leg control, but neither can get the upper hand. They exchange right hands right hands in the middle of the ring, and Black uses a deadly kick to the chest. Cody turns it around and just steps on the head of Malachi Black. Cody gains control and hits a slam for a one count. Cody locks in a figure four, but Black is able to get the break. Black sets the table up on the outside. Cody counters and then hits a crossroads through the table. Ouch. Boatman's head's going straight through it. Um, Boatmen are busted open, and this has been a very physical contest. Black sends Cody to the outside, tries for a moonsault, but Cody moves, gets back in, hits a suicide dive of his own. He brings Black back in and hits a crossroads, and then a tiger driver to pick up the win at the 15-minute mark. I wanted more. I would like this match to have gone 20 to 25 minutes, but it was a fantastic main event. Well done by both men. Well done by AEW for this week's show. I give it a 5 out of 5. Now, you can go ahead and you can tell me, well, hey, you're now an AEW mark. You're doing for them what you were doing for for NXT a couple of months ago before the whole NXT 2.0. No, I'm not a mark for anybody. I'm only a mark when something huge happens in wrestling, and I do have a mark out moment. Sort of like I did for CM Punk and Bobby Fish, knowing that they're about to feud. <clears throat> but what I will say is, is that AEW is putting out quality wrestling matches, like 15 to 20 minute opening matches, like 12 to 15 minute women's matches, like 15 to 20 minute tag team matches and 20 minute main events like we just had this week, while giving us comedy, giving us serious promos and giving us updates on how feuds are going to go from here on out. If that's the case then I'm all for it. If NXT was doing the same thing, I'd be patting them on the back as well and giving them a 5 out of 5 or a 4 out of 5 because I want succession from both shows. I want to be able to watch quality wrestling product. If I'm forced to watch over 12 hours of wrestling a week, 3 hours of Raw, 2 hours of SmackDown, 2 hours of Dynamite, two hours of, of NXT 2.0, an hour of AEW Rampage, and then you mix in TNA Impact, NWA, MLW. Ladies and gentlemen, it gets out of hand with the amount of wrestling that we have to watch when we want to be wrestling reviewers. So if I have to watch that much wrestling, I want it to be good product. I don't like watching shit. So no, I'm not marking out for AEW. I'm doing this because I think they're putting out a better product. But I will say this is one of the best episodes I think AEW Dynamite has had in my recent memory. If you have not watched it yet, 
please go back or go out of your way to find AEW Dynamite from this week and go ahead and take a look. Now, that leaves us with only one last segment. And that is what grinds my gears. It's been a couple of weeks. And nothing was really standing out from the get-go until last night. I watched Impact Wrestling's Bound for Glory pay-per-view. They promised new superstars coming in. And we got the inspiration, formerly the Iconics, Billy Kay and um, Peyton Royce. That was it, though. They were talking about Daniel Bryan and Samoa Joe during the promo when they were talking about it two months ago. We didn't get that. We got the Iconics. And guess what? Their first night on the job, they got the women's tag team titles. We also got Gail, uh, Mickey James beating Deanna Perrazzo and ending her almost one-year title reign as women's champion, knockout champion, so that Gail can placate her ego which I said a few months ago was going to happen somewhere down the line. And then in the biggest piece of junk possible, Josh Alexander gave up his X division title to challenge Christian cage for the world title. They had an incredible matchup 30 minutes of these two men killing themselves. Christian cage proving he can still go at his age. Josh Alexander proving he is a walking weapon. And Josh Alexander gets the win. Years of determination and fighting and crawling to become world heavyweight champion in a wrestling promotion. And what does TNA do? They let Moose cash in his on-the-spot title shot, which is basically money in the bank, and beat Josh Alexander to become the new Impact Champion. What the actual fuck? Josh Alexander is a journeyman wrestler who's been all over the world, has done everything any promotion has ever asked of him, and finally gets the shot at becoming world champion. You tell him, go ahead and do the storyline where he gives up the X Division title that he's now held for over six months and beaten everybody with. You tell him, give up the belt, and go ahead and feud with Christian. Great, he doesn't. Also, he can have a two and a half minute title reign because you think that Moose is the better man to be your champion. Moose, who was not relevant even when he brought back the TNA title. Moose, who wasn't relevant until EC3 came back and was beating the crap out of him for weeks, leading us to that bullshit in the dark match that they had, which didn't do anything but have Moose walk out in a white suit afterwards. What? So we now have Moose, a 7-foot, 320-pound monster in a company filled with guys who are the size of Josh Alexander. And that's not a knock at Alexander. He's 6-foot. He's 220 pounds. But you basically gave someone like Kane the World Heavyweight title, and you put him in a company with guys the size of Kenny Omega, Daniel Bryan, Chavo Guerrero. And what I mean by that is, again, I am not knocking their size 
for a reason they're too small. No, these are great wrestlers. But no one would believe that Kenny Omega can easily beat Kane. No one will believe that Chavo Guerrero will easily beat Kane. The same way nobody is going to believe if Chris Saban challenges for the world title that he is going to beat Moose or that Josh Alexander can get the title now back from Moose. On top of which, Moose botches every single match. Moose cannot cut a promo. Moose is not a serious contender for the world title. And the only hopes I have, the only thing I really want to see, if this is all that this is leading to, is one of two things. Either we get well W. Morrissey, the former big cast, to go ahead and go up against Moose and become world heavyweight champion then, because that guy deserves it after the shit couple of years he's had. Or Sammy Callahan comes back and Sammy gets back the belt because him and Moose were in the middle of a feud. Impact Wrestling, I have been praising you for months during the whole Forbidden Door thing. You guys were doing fantastic. You were doing great. Christian got the title. Kenny Omega. Rich Swan as the champion was was unbelievable. You know, you were making new stars like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Willie Mack. Eddie Edwards was a prominent part of the show. Even Johnny Swinger and his Swinger's Palace was passable. <laughs> but you guys decided to give reject WWE stars like the Iconics, the women's titles, Mickey James, the women's, the knockouts title, and now Moose, your world title, all in one night. Talk about a total and utter reversal back to the crap that nobody wanted to see. You might as well take all the fans out of the arena again and just leave it an empty arena like you had during the pandemic because, let's face it, you probably have to pay the people who are in your arena anyway to watch this crap if things are going to go the way that they're continuing to go and the way that they have gone in the past when you've done stupid moves like this. Impact, I'm putting you on notice. I'm giving you one month. And if I do not see a legit challenger... Or do I do not see Josh Alexander be put back in the title picture and actually get a credible shot at the belt for the world title, then I will no longer watch Impact Wrestling. And I know I don't always review it, but when there is a pay-per-view, I do talk about it. I You you will definitely be losing me, me as a viewer, and I know that doesn't really matter. Maybe you've got a couple hundred thousand viewers, five, six hundred thousand viewers, whatever the case may be. You putting that belt on Moose, though, ruined. Everything, in my opinion, and there really is no going forward unless you intend to fix it quickly. So, thank you for joining me once again here on If You Smell What The Arch Is Cooking. Thank you guys for supporting WrestleNet Radio and the We Can't Wrestle family and everyone that is under the umbrella of that family. Thank you, Nate Maxson, for continuing to give me a platform to spew my love, my hate, and my downright frustration with professional wrestling. So, until next time, I will see you again on If You Smell... Look at the tongue, 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 look at the tong